I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Away for another Vaughn boundary. <laughs> well, he's a great fieldsman. Philip Tuffman, he often falls over and he's brought it into his batting as well. Hello everyone and welcome to the Vaughnian and Tuffers Cricket Club podcast brought to you by The Telegraph. Ben and Michael with you as always, but not Phil this week. Our chief cricket correspondent Nick Holt will be taking his place instead today. After a week off, we're just hours away from the fourth Ashes test at Old Trafford, which will either result in England levelling the series or Australia retaining the Ashes. The three of us will look ahead to the test in detail, including a recall for the out-of-form James Anderson, who has been preferred to Ollie Robinson. I'm afraid to say we'll also have to discuss how the gloomy weather forecast over the next few days could play a part. We are, however, incredibly excited that our guest today is none other than David Warner, the Australian opener, who is in the middle of his final Ashes series after he announced he will retire from all formats of the game by the end of the year. We'll get his take on the Ashes series so far and why he feels now is the right time to call it quits on a stellar career. Plus, we'll recap the best of the women's Ashes as Australia edged a tight ODI to retain the urn. Morning, guys. Morning, Mike. And morning, Nick, who's joining us in the place of Phil Tufnell, who can't join us today. Nick is up at Old Trafford and it looks like you're in the ground looking out towards the pitch. Uh, What can you see out there? Actually, the covers are off at the moment. Um, they've rolled them back. The pitch, to it looks more like Edgebaston than it did uh, than Headingley. Uh, it's quite brown, biscuit-coloured, um, and there also there aren't that many uh, used pitches either to the side. So I'm not sure we're going to see much reverse swing this week, which um, has been mentioned in the past as something at Old Trafford. Um, so very lush, and it's quite damp as well. So uh, not quite as uh, as nice as it hoped for. Nick, you do realise you're in Manchester and you've just described um, Manchester in, in one sentence of, of the Manchester that you've visited probably for 20-odd years as a broadcaster come um, journalist. Uh, it's going to be damp, it will be a bit moist um, and, and I'll be amazed if we see any element of reverse swing this week because it's going to be very, very damp on that cricket ball. Um, you'll get You'll get a few hours of dryness, which will... Uh, be what England require because they escalate the game so quickly but uh, yeah it's Manchester there's going to be clouds there's going to be a bit of rain just the normality 
Well, they've got the, the big party standies up <laughs> and it's bigger than ever before. I think they've actually added a few seats this year, obviously, to make a few quid out of the Ashes test. And uh, if you sat there this weekend, there is no cover whatsoever. So, um, And the, the ground is actually a bit of a building site as well because they're building another hotel here. It must be the only cricket ground with two hotels. Um, although apparently this new hotel is posher than the original hotel. So that's probably where you'll be staying next time you're up here. But um, it is uh, it is a bit of a... It's a bit of a. It's sort of coming together, Old Trafford. It's sort of they're getting there. It's 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 um, yeah. It, it does feel a bit strange <laughs> this week. Yeah, I always feel Old Trafford is is the the one. I think the Oval probably uh, as well as I mean, Oval is is clearly uh, more developed in in terms of, of finished product, but Old Trafford is is an, an event space really. Yeah, you know, with a bit of cricket yeah. added on. I mean, they have concerts. They have so much going on. The point has uh, so many exhibitions and conferences, pretty much throughout the whole year. And uh, they've done a great job. You know, it's 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 a model that if I was a cricket ground owner, I'd be looking at Old Trafford and thinking, could I kind of copy what they've done to make it more of a an event space rather than just a cricket facility. It's a funny ground for England as well because they've actually strangely got quite a good record here. They win a lot of test matches at Old Trafford, but not against Australia. They haven't won here since 81 um, against an Ashes test. Uh, so it's sort of a funny one, really. They, they, they sort of talk about having good memories here, and, uh, but, but not against Australia. And, of course, they lost here four years ago. And that, there was an echo of what's happened in this series because they, the, the great game at Headingley, they came here, it was very windy, it was very cold. England did bowl very well and they, it was very flat and they lost the game. So, um, so it's, it, it, it sort of, we're talking about that to Ben Stokes later. But I, I think this England team is a bit probably able to cope with that a bit better than that team was. Uh, the other thing about Old Trafford, of course, is it's got the Jimmy Anderson end and uh, Jimmy Anderson makes his return to the side. Mike, you were talking earlier about uh, perhaps wanting Josh Tong in this side rather than Jimmy Anderson, um, but they've gone, for, gone with him. Uh, what do we think of that? Yeah, I mean, uh, no, I, I, I said that, you know, the England um, selectors shouldn't go on sentiment. You know, they felt that Josh Tong was bowling better this week and offering a little bit more oomph. Than Jimmy Anderson, don't be scared of playing the youngster over Jimmy Anderson, even though he's bowling from his own end and he's a legend of the game. He could arguably say he's England's greatest ever, but England clearly feel that Jimmy's um, raring to go. Uh, I get a sense that they told Jimmy at Headley that he would be, play, be playing this week, so maybe they made their decision uh, a week or so ago. Look, Jimmy, Jimmy bowling 75% of his best is good enough. You know, he's that good at bowling, particularly if the clouds are around, there's going to be any element of movement. Um, I think the the problem with Jimmy this this summer was the second test at Lords when there was green grass on the surface and he didn't get anything out of Lords. The first test was pretty much a week where most seamers got nullified because of the surface at Edgebaston, whereas Lords was a a little bit of a standout that Jimmy didn't get a great deal out of that surface. Um, you know, but Jimmy Anderson, seventy five percent at his best, will be a real threat to Australia. Um, but Josh Tong, it, it must have been a close call because I, I felt that Lords he was outstanding. You know, I really felt that he was a, a bowler that can bowl. You know, that eighty-eight miles an hour delivery. He looks like he's got an awkward action, uh, an awkward action that looks like he, he he's setting up to angle it into the right handers, but can get the ball to go away from the right handers and back into the left handers. Um, so England have, have, have gone with the senior. I mean, they've got a bowling attack that's uh, what's the average age? Halty thirty-six. Dad's army, isn't it? 
it is Dad's Army. It is the oldest Ashes attack since 1928. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, and does that concern you in any way? Because if it's a long game, do you think they've got the legs, all of those bowlers? Well, I think England don't play the long game anymore, so... <laughs> <laughs> but the bowlers don't get a lot of rest, do they? No, they just get out there and smash it uh, about 50, 60 overs and then get the, the ball in hand once again. It didn't affect them at, uh, at head and end. But interestingly, in 1928, um, did England win that test match with, with the last Dad's Army attack? Uh, well, it was actually the Australian team that picked the uh, the, the old attack in that test match. And, right. And uh, England won, won. They scraped home by 675 runs. Um mm. And um, uh, two of those old Australian bowlers uh, killed over halfway through the game and never played again. By killed over, you don't mean died. No, I don't mean died, but uh, but uh, didn't make it to the end of the game. And uh, there was a young 20-year-old batting at number six on debut for Australia called Donald Bradman. They dropped him for the next game. So, um, so it, wasn't, it wasn't a great success. So, so basically, Alty, what you're saying is that Dad's <laughs> army doesn't work. Because 95, 95, was it, no, uh, what, yeah, 95 years ago it didn't work, so it's not going to work 95 years later. Exactly. As, as recently as the Roaring Twenties, it was a complete failure, so I don't know why they're going back to it. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, of course, this time you've also got a, the, the spin bowl is 36, so it's, it's, it, it, it's not, we're just talking about the seamers as Dad's Army, even the spin bowlers knocking on a bit. Was there any debate uh, about the uh, makeup of the bowling attack, as far as you know, Nick? Or was this, as uh, Mike suggested, that sort of this was the side that they were probably going to go with from oh, two I weeks think back? So. We spoke to Ben Stokes before the, even before the Headingley Test match. We, the way it works is there's like a press conference, and then there's a little huddle with the written press afterwards. And um, in that huddle, he was saying then that yeah, Jimmy will bowl from the Jimmy Anderson end. So that was two days before the Headingley Test. Well, even knew the result of the last game. I think uh, Ollie Robinson's stiff back gave them an easy way of making the decision. Um, if he'd bowled well at, uh, at, at Headingley and, and, and come through that game, it may have been, been harder for them. But no, I don't think this was a difficult decision for them at all. I don't think there was any discussion. I mean, I, I think the decision was made before they even arrived at the ground and looked at the pitch. Yeah, I mean, Holti, whatever people um, deliberate on selection, whether they talk about Johnny Bairstow being replaced by Ben Folks, uh, Jimmy Anderson coming in ahead of Josh Tong, whatever the deliberation is outside the England bubble, the one thing I admire about this England side is they just get it out there. They make it very, very clear. Johnny Bairstow last week, they announced their squad early in the week rather than later in the week. So it stops everyone talking about it. You know, they just get the job done. They just tell everyone, this is what we're doing. That's our squad. And by the way, two days out before the test match starts, that is our team. So I don't think they care about the perception of what people think outside of the bubble. It's what they do. Uh, they get on with their business the way that they're doing it. I really admire sporting teams that actually have you know, it's like a clarity of what they're about. You know what they're going to deliver. You know, you know the style of cricket they're going to try and produce. You know the style of cricketers that they want. The reason why Johnny Bairstow is in the side is because he can whack the ball out the, out the ground and they're going to back him to do that. I think they know deep down inside the team that he might drop one or two uh, balls. They, they kind of know he's not the perfect wicketkeeper, but they know he can, can cause um, some destruction with the bat in hand. And his energy behind the stumps very, very important. So you know what you're getting with this England side. And I admire a, 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 a team that deliver that consistently. And they've done that now for a year and a half. So uh, we shouldn't ever be surprised when they announce the team early and they announce the squads early. 
Do you think it gives a... I mean, there's no real pressure for them to do that. I and mean, there's no reason to name the team two days before the game. And um, I know that they're concerned a little about leaks and all that sort of stuff. But but is it, it does it just hand Australia an advantage to know their, the England team? Because the Aussies have not named their team at any stage during this series until the toss. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course it's... Um... You know, it can it can hand an advantage, but um, throughout this series, um, I, I don't think Australia have had an advantage because England have announced their team early. I think Australia have had an advantage at times in the Test matches because England have played some silly cricket at times. But if you actually go through the three games that uh, have been played in the Ashes, you know, Edgebast and England announced the team very very early, played really well, just lost the game uh, at Lords, announced it very early. Uh, just got it wrong on day one. Uh, nearly won an extraordinary test match at Henley. Did the same again, um, you know, and played some good cricket at Henley. So I, I don't think it's having any kind of effect on the series. I, th- I think in cricket and in and in test match cricket in particular, I think we probably overthink and overlook at a lot of these things. Like you know, you're announcing the team and giving away a little bit of your information. Uh, a team, if you go back to Andy Flower's reign, you know, when Andy Flower and Andrew Strauss were together, they wouldn't let anything out of their team bubble. You know, they they they, they, they left it till, I think that if the toss was at 10.30, they left it till 10.31 to let any kind of information out of the bag. So, look, teams do it differently. Um, I admire any team that does it to their set ways and they stay to it and don't change it. And that's exactly what this England team are doing. Holter, you wrote a piece after Headingley where you described the performance as basball with brains. Could you sort of explain what you meant by that and what the key changes were? Well, I guess it's just the way they approached the run chase in the second innings. They kind of, they seemed to, um, there were no, you didn't see them flapping at short balls. You didn't see them knocking the ball up in the air. You saw a very controlled sort of... uh, uh, run chase in many respects. I think that, that maybe it suited them better because they're such brilliant white ball cricketers. They knew what was needed and, and they're so confident when it comes comes to chasing. Um, they just they just seem to be more in control on that final day. And also in the previous evening as well, when Duckett and Crawley had that opening stand, which at the time felt important. We were all sitting there thinking, oh, if they lose one tonight, this is going to be a real problem. But they, they, yeah. they, they, there was a few hairy moments, obviously against a new ball from those two, but but they generally batted pretty sensibly and pretty well. I mean, it was only Zach Crawley uh, played some wonderful shots and of course got himself out again, but... but uh, it, when it felt like it, it could be his day, um, but mainly they, 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 that was that was how it felt that they were they were in control. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at Henley, and, and unlike at Lords um, when they won the toss and bowled, um, England in, uh, at the game in, in Leeds won every key moment. If you look to the Test match, every time England needed to win the moment, they won it. The first morning at Headingley, they won. They had them eight shot for four. They had to get early wickets. They just won the toss and bowled at Lords. They didn't do that. You know, at Headingley, that key partnership you just mentioned between Zach Crawley and Ben Duckett late on in the day, on day three, they had to see them through to stumps. They won it. They won that key moment. You know, the chase on that, that last afternoon, you know, I, I didn't see Harry Brook dance down to try and whack the seamers over the top. He played sensibly. He played some expansive shots because he can. You know, and all I'm saying to the England side is, if you look at Lords when they were chasing down that total, when Brody went out to bat with Ben Stokes, he played with great attrition, just wore a few and ducked and weaved and got the strike to Ben Stokes. All I would say to England is, why not try to do that in the first innings of the Test match as well? 
You know, why be so expansive in the first innings? Why not try and play with a little bit more uh, of a, a streetwise brain in the first innings as you do in the second? Because when you're chasing 300 in the second innings, I see an England side that does play a little bit more sensibly. The field gets spread and they knock it around. They're still scoring at 4-0 because there's so many gaps in the field. Now, why not do that in the first innings? Why, why be so expansive and so aggressive and so risky in the first innings? I just think, you know, it's like the gears of a car. England try and get to sixth gear so quickly and stay in sixth gear. You know, there's no Formula One car that can stay in six gear because you come to corners and, and little chicanes and you have to go down in the gears. And that's what you have to do. And I just love them to try and bat a little bit more like they do in the second innings when they're chasing, when the pressure's on and it gets down to the, the business end of the test match. Why not try and just do that a little bit more in the first innings? It might just give them, you know, a few more runs. It might also give them a few more overs batting out there, which might also give their bowlers a few more overs in the dressing room resting. I know it worked at Headingley. They only batted 52 overs. They won the test match. But this next two weeks, back-to-back games, the bowlers are going to need more of a rest. They're going to need more time in the dressing room. It might get it with the rain. There might be more delays. But a bowling unit being sent out there after 52 overs of rest, you know, it's going to be difficult in the next two weeks. So, Mike, do you get the sense that this... I mean, it seems a bit weird. We just talked about how old some of the players are. But do you get the sense that as a side... Um, and under Ben Stokes' captaincy, which is relatively new, they are maturing. Um, look, I, I think they're, you know, they won the game. Ultimately, it's about winning the game. And when you win the game, you always praise um, many of the good things, and, and, and rightfully so. Um, you know, I, I just saw an England side in that chase that just desperately had to win, and they had a focus about them, knowing that they had to win that game. It was, it was very clear and obvious. Um, but let's not, you know, over-empathise that it was a, a great, great performance. It was a good performance because they got the win, but there were still elements of it that were very, very risky. There were still elements of it that you felt, oh, when Johnny Bairstow got out playing that big drive in the second innings, I think the whole ground thought, oh, no. And I actually thought Australia got their tactics completely wrong to Chris Wokes. You know, why are you pitching the ball up to Chris Wokes when he goes out there? I'll never know. You know, surely the, the tactic must be to bounce the tail of England and spread the field. You know they're going to take the short ball on. Um, so I don't think Australia had a great last afternoon in terms of tactics. But, you know, it, it, it's such a good series to watch and cover that you could probably pick 20 different talking points from a test match to really kind of highlight and, yeah. and examine and put your analyst hat on. But... You know, the, the series as a whole, I, I've never known, and I, I played in 05 and, you know, I was in the bubble, so I never really got to feel how the public were really involved in the series. I got a sense of it, but I really get a sense that this series, you know, everyone wants to be at Old Trafford this week. I've never had, and people think because you're an ex-player, you get tickets. I don't know why, why they think I get tickets, but I must have had 30 messages from people. I live in the area, I've got some tickets. How, how am I going to get tickets? So that's the, the kind of, that is the benchmark of where we're at in this series is that it's a series that, you know, we had a, a, an incredible Wimbledon final on Sunday, brilliant final, an amazing game. It looks like a superstar in the, in the making in Alcaraz. But still, I'm getting the, the, the sense that the hottest ticket in town at the minute is probably to, tomorrow at Old Trafford. Everyone wants to see this England side play Australia. Uh, Australia are obviously playing their part because they're playing... Great cricket as well. They were a bit more expansive with the bat at Headingley. 
you know, they went at England a little bit more so. It probably was their downfall in the second innings with Lavishane and Smith's wicket to Moen. Um, but you just feel that this series is hot and it would be incredibly hot if England can produce one performance here. If we can have it 2-2 going down the final stretch, it would go down, in my opinion, as the greatest of all time because, and particularly if the game is as, as good as the first three, then England managed to get over the line again this week. I've never known three consecutive test matches where it's been so dramatic and so close. I mean, you you talked about Headingley being a must-win and that giving clarity to the England side. Obviously, Old Trafford is a must-win and that gives them clarity. Um, but Holter, you were you were talking about the weather. There's obviously some weather about. There might be rain delays. How is that going to sort of affect the English mentality? Because they know they've got to win, but they know that there might be delays. Uh, are they going to? Are we going to see Basball double plus? Well, look, if it, uh, ben, ben Stokes has always threatened to forfeit an innings in a test match, and, and this could be the week if it rains heavily. Um, um, I'm just watching England field at the moment, and, and Joe, Joe Root's doing his slip practice, and I was, I was just thinking about the tempo of England's batting, and I think actually the best innings I've seen England play in the basketball era um, was probably the one in Wellington, and that was when he controlled, he set the tempo with his 150 in the first innings. Yeah. Um, and I just wonder whether they've lost a little bit of that during this series with Joe probably being a little bit out of out, out of touch and losing his rhythm in the last uh well ever since his you know his first innings at, at edge baston and he's going to have a huge role to play this week i think um if if and this is a scene of of his of his best test innings uh of his career against pakistan a few years ago so um England need him to find that, re- rediscover that that rhythm, that tempo. Um, and I think the others bat around him. We sometimes forget that actually Crawley, Duckett and Brooke are quite young and at the start of their test careers. I know Crawley's been around a long time, but but he's still coming to terms with test cricket. And maybe that's why we're seeing a lot of these mistakes. That, and, and like, like Mike said about, uh, can they do it in the first innings this time? Can can they rein it in a little bit and, and, and bat in third gear before moving up through the gears? Well, I think Joe's crucial to that this week, um, particularly if, the, like we say, the weather's going to play a part. And Nick, how about uh, Johnny Bairstow? Obviously, there's been a huge amount of chat about his keeping. Is he allowing him, that to get to him or is it, he, they, they sort of putting a bubble around him? Uh, well, he hasn't spoken to the media for a long time, so I guess they have put a little bit of a bubble around him. That's partly because of his involvement in the stumping incident at Lords. Um, but uh, it was interesting yesterday. He was actually working with Brendan McCullum quite closely in the indoor school. It rained during England's practice, so they had to to go inside. And he was working with Brendan and with Joe Root. And Brendan was talking to them about their positioning, which has obviously caused a little bit of confusion, possibly with some of the chances that have missed have been missed. Um, and one of the things that Brendan did when he first became involved with England was uh, cut the backroom team. And one of the people he cut was a wicketkeeping coach. Um, so James right. Foster disappeared, and I, I, because he obviously was a keeper himself, and uh, and and well, I can do the keeping keeping coaching. Um, but I have to wonder whether that. If you're a wicketkeeper, do you want to tell the head coach every little problem that you've got, um, little doubt in your own mind? You know, whereas a wicketkeeping coach can be a confidant. Uh, it's a specialist skill, uh, yeah. and and he hasn't. There is no wicketkeeping coach. He's, doing, he's just he's just he's just working with with Brendan. He's working with him actually right now, and with Mo and Ali standing up to the stump. So he has put a lot of work, noticeably 
more work work in as the last two days. I'm not saying he didn't put enough in before, but he's definitely uh, upped it this week. I, I've always um, thought with keeping, because it's such a, a specialist position, that whoever's the England wicketkeeper should actually be able to bring in their specialist wicketkeeping coach with them on, on preparation days. Because it might be someone completely outside of the bubble that you've worked with for, for many, many years that just knows how you operate. And I've always felt that. And I think in time we'll see more of it in cricket where... You as an individual, you are an individual kind of brand. You are you're looking after your own share price in cricket. You know, you you, you as a batter, a bowler, as a as a wicketkeeper, you're there to go and do your job. And on Tuesday, Wednesday, I know it's Monday, Tuesday preparation days this week, but generally it's Tuesday, Wednesday going into a Thursday start. You should be able to bring in your specialist coach to work with you on those days. And then as soon as the game starts, they disappear. You know, but you've got to prepare yourself to produce what the team require on the Thursday. And it would seem sensible for me moving forward that if you have a specific coach that you work with outside of the England bubble, that specific coach should be able to come to practice, even if he's just stood by the side and just been able to watch you and give you information, um, a few little tips. Um, It wouldn't surprise me if we see that going forward in the future because cricket is becoming such a specific individual sport with a team structure around it. I think Brendan's did. It's a it's a classic move to come in and decide English cricket it's, it's bloated. There are too many people around the team. They're too pampered. They need to think for themselves. And you often get that from uh, from coaches who are coming from countries where the budget is smaller. They don't have as many people around the team, and they look at England and think there's too much. I've got to cut all of that. Uh, and there's something to be said for that. But I, I think with the keeping coach, we saw with Bruce French, the actual work he did in turning Matt Pryor into a decent test keeper. Um, it was, it was such, it's such an important job. And it seems an unnecessary one to cut for me because they've actually got a spin bowling coach when sometimes you don't pick a spinner. So, um, uh, <laughs> And it's not as if they're, they're short of a few quid because they, they pay for them to go on golfing trips to Scotland and to Queenstown in New Zealand. So there's plenty of money washing around the England team. So it's not a budget issue. Um, it, 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 I just wonder, that, that's one of those, um, Brendan, because it's brilliant stuff, but I, I just seemed a bit unnecessary to me to drop that keeping coach. And I think it might be biting them in this series. Ahead of the fourth test at Old Trafford, it gives me great pleasure to welcome one of the biggest names in the game to the podcast, David Warner. David, thank you so much for taking the time to join us before the test. How have you enjoyed the series so far? From the outside, it's had a sort of slightly different vibe to it. Has, how has it felt inside the cauldron? Uh, my pleasure, Jensen. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's been awesome. And I think, you know, you just need to see not just the results, but, you know, the way that both teams are playing on the field. It's fast cricket. It's um, exciting. Uh, and obviously, at the start of the series, you know, we hadn't played against um, the Bazball theme um, team yet. So, from our perspective, it was exciting. Um, we didn't know what was going to, you know, come from that. And, you know, from ball one when, um, you know, Zach Crawley cover drove that to the boundary, it was a bit like a, wow, uh, here we go. So, you know, it was it was awesome. It's been fantastic. Uh, the crowds have loved it. I know everyone at home that I talk to and my family are, are sitting up all night watching it. And that's what Ashes Cricket is all about. So, I think both teams are playing great cricket and um, yeah, it's 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 going to be exciting a uh, couple of days here. I mean, on that, on baseball and how England are playing their cricket, as a, as a team, do you feel that England may at times be dangerous, but they always give you a chance to get back in the game as well? 
Yeah, and I think that just comes with the tempo that they play at. Uh, you know, I think having sat back and, and just read a few articles of, you know, of people talking about the way they're playing, it's going to happen where you're going to, you know, play shots and get out, um, you know, and I can I can say that about me, the way that I play, I'd rather get out, you know, cover drive Nick rather than, you know, defending Nicking and you're looking to score and move the game forward. I think, you know, it's, that's their plan. That's the way that they want to play and it, it's exciting for, for cricket in general and it's exciting for us to, to play against them and, you know, we've just got to hold our own nerve and play the way that keep playing the way that we're playing. Davey, uh, Vaughan here. Great to have you on the pod. Um, uh, how was Paris first and foremost? I, I see the modern day player, they get to go away on holiday in, in the middle of an Ashes series. How was that one? Yeah, that's because there's no uh, county game in between and there's no, uh, and then you've got to fit the 100 ball in the back end. So that's not our problem. So, um, you know, we get a bit of a rest, which is great um, <laughs> and exciting. So, no, Paris was great. Good to spend some time with the family. Disneyland, I highly recommend, but uh, I would love a pram for an adult. It's tiring, um, <laughs> but but, uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was good, um, good break, and um, and yeah, it's it's just good to be back here and get ready to play some cricket. And, and just uh, just back on Basball, do you, do you think? I mean, it's it's been such a, an exciting brand for us to to watch this England side play in the last year and a half. Do you think in in the future most Test teams around the world will try and? take on that approach to make test cricket that little bit more exciting it it possibly could be because the way that people are playing um all the 2020 uh franchise stuff when you're coming through now junior cricket it's pretty much 2020 cricket so it's going to be a lot different to the way that you know like you yourself um when you when you're growing up you you learn to play technically and then you then you develop into white ball skills now it's the reverse you've got to play white ball cricket then try and go into red ball cricket. So you're going to see people playing a lot more shots. I think it's exciting moving forward. And it's the brand of cricket that England clearly want to play and they're going to stick with that. And that's and that's their method. So in Australia, you, you do see a lot of junior cricket players playing reverse sweeps. Uh, it excites me because I love playing that shot, but then not throwing away your wicket. So I think coaches are probably going to have a little bit of a... Um, have, are going to have to bite their tongues if they're coaching some junior cricket growing up because um, <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be a challenge uh, to try and get some batters to bat technically. That's for sure. Yeah, and I, I was going to ask you that. I mean, it, it, you know, you've got some young girls who are, are playing the game. Um, I know they keep you very busy. Um, if you were a coach now teaching a, a five-year-old just starting out, what are you teaching them first and foremost? Uh, just pick the bat up the right way and see that ball and hit the ball. I think. Now that's the key to cricket. If you can, if you can concentrate on just watching that ball hard and and hit it consistently enough, uh, you know you'll get that natural skill. And I think your ability comes as you get older. Uh, you change. You become creative with your shots. I think at the moment every kid that starts or picks up the cricket bat will hit everything to cow corner. So that's just a natural instinct. It's like a baseball swing. And then that's the that's the balance from there. And then trying to create that sort of offside play. So, you know, I wouldn't be talking too much technique or that. I'd just be letting them hit the ball. Um, they want to hit the ball in the air and as far as they want. So, uh, yeah, and that's what my, my girls do as well. So, it's good. Um, coming back to the to the Ashes, uh, obviously you're 2-1 up, but England won the last test. Who do you feel has the momentum at this moment? I think, you know, when you're 2-1 up, you feel like you, you would have the momentum. Um 
from our from our side, our camp. You know, we've we've been here for a little while now. I know England played Ireland. We played against India, and I think it's probably held both teams in good stead leading into this um, you know this series. So, look for for now. I'd say you know you probably see we're in the box seat because you're two one up. Um, but anything can happen in this great game. Uh, there's a bit of weather about here as well, which is not great and ideal. Um, so that could be made an interesting uh, fifth test if it uh, is to get washed out. Uh, Old Trafford's a good st- um, stomping ground for Australia. Uh, I think the last time the Aussies uh, lost there was 81, beefy uh, series. Um, what is it about Old Trafford and Manchester? Whereas Headingley seems to be a, a place of whatever happens, England generally win there. It's always a, it's always a, a close one. You go back to Headingley 81, 19, then last week. Uh, there's something about Old Trafford that the Aussies like. What is it? Yeah, look, I just think it's the uh, the surface is always you know a little bit a little bit drier. The wickets a little bit um, I'll say flatter. Um, and you know the wicket could not it could be dissimilar to um, the first game of Birmingham. I hope it's not that slow, but um, it, it just has that sort of knack with Australians that you know we either take wickets with our spinners. Um, and I think what happens as well the variation. I think it, it sort of goes down a little bit here. It doesn't really shoot up. So a lot of LBWs come into contention and, and bold. And I think Australians naturally um, over the years have have held their lengths well in Australia on wickets like that. So I think the wicket probably suits um, the faster bowlers come to the back end of the, the game. Um, early in the in the game, it sort of has a little bit of speed in the wicket. Um, and then, you know, you can obviously get your nicks. And batters just, if you get in, I think they've scored big runs. So that's probably the key to why we've probably had some success here. And I, mean, I don't want you to give any uh, secrets away, but do you think it's going to spin? Will we will we see a bit of spin this week? I'm not sure. I don't. I don't think you'll see spin on the wicket. Um, it looks from from looking at the wicket yesterday. It's still you can see like not cross cracks, but it's got those natural plates that are there, and you can sort of see them. So um, you know, given given the weather and everything, um, I don't think it'll break up as much. Um, and I think Leeds didn't do that either. And I think if, mm. if England keep playing the fast-forward cricket, they do. I don't think spinners will come into it at all, <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> not, they don't make enough rough there for them. So I think that's what Nathan Lyon was talking about um, the first first two tests. He goes, they keep playing this way. There's going to be no rough there come day two, day three. <laughs> Um, and David, what about your own form? You had a couple of good knocks at Lords, and then obviously not so great at Headingley. Do you think that you're in form, or you just happen to get a couple of good balls at, uh, at Headingley? Yeah, I feel like I'm in, in great touch. I've you know I've batted, I've I've felt really really well in the net since I've been here. Um, leading in, I had real good sessions against our quicks at uh, Beckenham, and I felt like you know Lords was probably the best. I've probably batted. Um, you know, the last sort of two years just holding my line and, you know, I, I feel that, you know, we've batted probably in the toughest condition so far besides Leeds where we you know, lost a lot of wickets, um, you know, through some just basic errors and, you know, in, in Leeds I've, I've probably got two good balls. I think the first the first one I was sort of covering sort of the ball that comes back in off the seam um, with Brody. So, you know, when he puts those balls in those areas as a left-hander, You've got to be mindful of the one that comes back in. So you always hold your line and, you know, if it gets to the outside edge, it gets to the outside edge. So you can't really do too much about that. So I think if in, in, 
in hindsight, you, you always look back at the dismissals and go, oh, I probably could have cover drive that. But then you probably can't because of the length as well. So, you know, you've just got to, you know, you got to take it on the chin. Can't do anything about it. And Davey, I don't know if you read um, Stuart Broad's columns, but on Sunday he, he, he um, wrote how hard it is to bowl to you. Um, opening the bat and facing an opening bowl, he's going to get you out. That, that's the, the nature of the beast. Um, how is it facing Stuart Broad? It's the million-dollar question. <laughs> I've, I always love facing not just Broad, but any fast bowler because, you know, they've got to hit the mark um, from, from the get-go. As a batter, it's probably the time that where you feel like you might get an easy one off your pads to get off strike. You might get a long, hard volley um, or put one away. But if, they, if they're if they on from ball one, it can be challenging. And I think in test match cricket, we know it we know it well enough. If a bowler keeps bowling a lot of deliveries at you, then one's going to have your name on it. So you've always got to look to try and, you know, upset his line and length. And credit to Brody, the last sort of, you know, two series I played against him, he's bowled extremely well. He's not really missed that mark. Um, and he's probably seen that at Lords where I've been walking at him, been going across, trying to put him off his line and length. Um, and, you know, if you don't last longer than an over, it's very hard to do that. So, um, <laughs> you know, you've got to be you got to be mindful of that. You've got to adapt when you're out there. You've got to be brave. And I think, yeah, just in general, the last two years, his record against left-handers and top-order batters has been, you know, phenomenal. And that's credit to him and the way that he's bowled. Yeah, can you talk us through sort of some of the things you're thinking uh, and how much of that matchup is in your mind or do you sort of try and put it behind you or are you sort of trying to be proactive and make sure that, as you say, you're sort of covering your stunts? Yeah, you don't really talk, you don't really think about the matchup. You're just thinking about that ball that's coming at you and, you know, where it's going to be placed and how you look in the score. Uh, you know, he bowls the ball in a great area all the time and I think, you know, there's a, there's pros and cons as well in the game where we've got two left-handed opening batters. So he he's, if not the best bowler to left-hand batters uh, in today's game. Uh, he He's so good at it. And, you know, you've got Jimmy as well who's there. You know, the, these guys are guys that we've watched uh, for a long time, we've played against for a long time. One, one of you are going to have the upper hand on the day. Uh, whichever country it is, you're going to have the upper hand maybe in the series, but you've still got to come back. You know, I always face the first ball in the first, in the first innings, like, you know, and that's what, you know, I love about this game is we get the comeback again if you, you know, if you're selected and then you go in there and you, you tackle it. And some days you're going to have a good day and some days you're going to have a bad day. So, you know, for me, I don't look at it like it's a, a challenge. It's just a, another game of cricket for me that I get to an opportunity to, to try and score runs against, you know, a, a great attack. And, and do you feel that, that you, you've... Sorry, sorry, Ben. It's your deal. It's your, it's your, it's your Cypress sun. It's too hot over there. <laughs> I was just, just going to ask Davey about, um, you know, you've announced that you, you, you're going to retire from the test game in, in Sydney uh, just after the new year. You know, I remember when I was uh, thinking about retirement, I, I lost a little bit of the edge in, in my last few games. I just, you know, was going out there to kind of get to the end. Do you feel that you're as sharp as ever still playing now, even though that you, you know you're coming to the end? Yeah, I, I do feel sharp still. And I think I'm probably working harder than ever in the nets. I think as you get older, you've, you've almost, you know, you put in as hard as you can when you first start through the middle, you know, when you can have your breaks and, you know, you feel like you're in good form and, you can have that time sort of, 
you know, doing other things, um, whether it's playing golf or whatnot. And now I think towards the back end, I'm working harder because I feel like I need to to have that routine and rhythm to get back into the flow when I get out there. So it's almost been like a, you know, a, a plan in a way to try and plan your career and going through the motions. Because I think when you get out, people go, all right, let's go and face a million balls in the nets. That's not me. I don't do that. Um, now I find peace going out in the golf course. I think that helps me on the field because um, I'm relaxed. Um, but now I think you know when you when you're in England, I think you have to do the, you have to do the work. It's you know you go out there even when you're if, if you're on a hundred or whatever you are, there's always going to be a ball with your name on it because something does happen whether it's the clouds coming in um, or you know you just get a good one. So I feel like you need to work extra harder um, over in England, especially. Yeah, do you, do, you, do you think, I mean, do you think England's the hardest place to bat, particularly yeah, at the top? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think because in Australia the ball moves around a, a little bit, but it probably moves more off the, off the seam um, or off the wicket than sort of in the air. So here it moves in the air and it can seem both ways now. Um, I feel like with the flatter wickets, it might sound a little bit silly, but with the flatter wickets, the wicket's harder, so I feel like the ball is sharp off the wicket both ways where if the wicket is sort of um, a little bit grassier, it's slow seam, so you can actually just adjust. Here it's more like it really darts back in. Um, so it's I'm finding that difficult from when I first ever came over here in 2013 um, where it was real slow swing but big swing, and now no one really tries to swing the ball as much. They just try and seam it. David, why do you, why have you decided now is the time to retire? Oh, I think there's just way too much talk about it. To be honest, I was sick of listening to it. Every single press conference I did, you know, Warner's out. He's doing this. He's doing that. And I'm like, look, I'll just send an end date. Everyone can get on with cricket. It's about the team. It's not about me. Um, I've got the, we've got the World Cup coming up as well after this Test match series. Uh, we've got a lot of white ball cricket um, before the end of the summer as well. So as you're just going back to then, Vaughan as well, it's. It is that mindset. It is that, you know, getting up every day, going to the training. I think when you do lose that spark, um, you know, that's probably when the time is to, to, to call it. And as I said before, at the moment, I've, I've still got it. I love the game. Um, you know, it, it, owes, it owes me nothing. I owe it a lot. So for me, if I can keep giving back and, and putting performances on the board, um, you know, it will, you know, probably prolong me for a little bit longer. Uh, David, uh, Instagram. Yep. You're very you're very prominent on Instagram, um, whether that's dancing uh, with your girls, um, Bollywood-style dancing. But last night you, you, you posted, when my circle got smaller, my vision got clearer, there's strength in loyalty, not numbers, and it's a pack of wolves. And there you've put, don't be fooled. Yep. What, what did you mean by that? So don't be fooled is just something that I always put with a few things and it's a it's a that's a long story that's just between me and my mates um but no that is more about since starting cricket you know a lot of my friends have sort of come into a tight-knit group and I think for me along along the journey um you've always had people who have sort of hung on and I think everyone gets that at the start of your career and a lot of my circle has been cut down and I've really navigated into sort of who I can trust and who I can stick by and you know who has my back all the time and and that was just more about when I post things like that or post things about the lines it's a message to my um a message to my friends and 
and my people saying I've you know I appreciate their support um, and I love them. So the don't be fooled thing is it's it's more for yeah. You'll see my Instagrams with me at the gym. You'll see me I don't know pretending I might be in New York when I'm not or somewhere. <laughs> And uh, and yeah, there's no there's no other meaning towards that besides um, yeah, me and my friends and yeah, we all all have jokes. I like it, David. You're known for having quite a combative temperament, but equally, you're you're. I mean, if you go on the statistics, you're easily the best opener in the in the modern era. Um, are those two things linked? <laughs> I think being competitive is is a is a big thing. Um, I think being you got to be brave. So I've always, I've always had this. Well, I think it's it's a, it's a nice cliche, but um, I think if you if you have the fear of failure, I reckon you're going to fail. And for me, I've never never had any fear of failing. So I feel like, you know, every game I go out there from from game one um, could be my last. So you know, when you open the batting, you're going to get out, and you could get out first ball um, of the game. So for me. You know, I've always had that instinct just to keep going out there and, and back myself and play my way. And, you know, for me, I used to be trying to get into the bowlers a little bit. Um, you know, I've sort of calmed down a, a lot um, since my younger days. So for, for me, I used to, you know, play a shot, hit a boundary and go past the bowler and say, oh, that was a long, hard volley or, you know, <laughs> what get up next or just to get that competitiveness. Like you, it's hard when you're out there like it's, you know, there's, there's no sledging in the game today. I don't see it. I don't hear it. Um, and I feel like the banter's sort of gone a little bit because of all the franchise cricket. But you can still have banter with people out there. But back back then when I started, it was more like, you know, I had a lot of people who didn't like me on the field. That's the way that I played. That's the way that I got up and about. Um, and I had to get into that contest. And I felt that's the way I got the best out of myself. And, yeah, it probably doesn't, didn't look good from, from afar. Um, but now, like, it's... You, you, you find different ways to get in and out um, out there, like singing singing songs in your head. And, yeah, there's a lot of other ways to, to get yourself going when you're out there. What, David, what, what song do you sing? Um, well, Brody's going to get you. <laughs> 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 Reverse stuff. psychology. I've got, I've got that in my mind. Well, yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> 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 that's what, if I said, to, who is the real David Warren? Because, you, you know, we've just wrote about your career, you've had your ups and downs. But I, I, I think people are starting to understand who you are more now. But if you had to describe yourself, of who is the real David Warner? Who is he? Yeah, look, well, c- quite clearly, I'm a, a father of three, um, you know, married with a wife, beautiful wife. And I think for me, it's, it's I'm a very loyal person. Um, you know, if you're, you know, whether or not you're in my team or you're a, or you're a mate um, or a family member, I've always got your back no matter what. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give my last dollar to, to anyone in need that needed it because that's just the way that I was brought up. Um, you know, I grew up in Housing Commission. We talk about having to fight for a lot of things. Um, you know, it's not the right word, but you did. Back in the day, you had to really work hard. Um, and I've, I've had that in me from, from basically 14, nine months when I had to, had to start working and, and help pay the bills. So for me, it's, that's, loyalty is the biggest thing. And I think, um, you know, anyone that doesn't know me and would love to have a beer, I'm always here to have a beer and have a laugh. And um, yeah, that's me. 
D- David, on this podcast, you, you, usually you Phil Tufnell's usually with us, but unfortunately this morning um, he, he's had to uh, go to the airport. And we have a segment of Phil's called Either Or. So you can only choose one. Uh, yep. Phil's passed it on to me to ask you the Either Or's today. Okay. Um, so there's, there's a few of them. They're quite interesting, but you can only choose one. Oh, wow. So let's st- let's start with either or caught behind or LBW. Uh, caught behind. Caught behind. That'll do. Uh, right here we go. Eighty nine from forty three balls on your T Twenty international debut against South Africa, or carrying your bat in the second test with an unbeaten one twenty three in Hobart against New Zealand. Uh, first one. We lost the other one. <laughs> <laughs> All's about the win. Um, you've just mentioned the Holly Stand, but here you go. Fielding in front of the Holly Stand or in front of the Western Terrace? Nah, Holly Stand. Love it. Really? Better than the Terrace? <laughs> well, I wasn't, I wasn't down there. <laughs> oh, you missed, the, you missed the Western Terrace. <laughs> Sensible. Um, the Orange Cap or the Allen Border Medal? <laughs> uh, Allen Border Medal. Are you sure? Yeah, I've had the orange. I've had both of them three times. <laughs> <laughs> right, there's one for you in the IPL. Um, the Sunrisers Hyderabad or the Delhi Capitals? Oh, that's uh, yeah, that's a that was a tough one. Um, now it's quite easy. Delhi, <laughs> Delhi, Delhi. Do you want to explain why it's now easy? Because I play for Delhi. <laughs> <laughs> They pay the bills, Ben Delhi, these days, so it's got to be Delhi. Oh, <laughs> uh, here we go, Davy. Golf or horse racing? <sighs> yeah, golf. <laughs> That's a tough one. Golf. Yeah, I know you love your horse. How many horse- horses have you got these days? I'm down to two, and the wife's very happy. <laughs> how, many, how many did you have? Uh, I've probably had about 15. Have you got, got any winners, big winners? Yeah, I, I've I've had a couple, um, and sold sold one recently at the the Broodman sales, and we bred we bred about five. So, um, yeah, ask Baz McCullum about that. It's not a it's not a it's a very expensive exercise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, the last one, Davey. We have to finish with this one. Uh, MCC members at Lords or a pack of wolves? <laughs> <laughs> no, the MC, I have the MCC members. Yeah, they were nice to you, weren't they? Brilliant. Yeah, that was all a bit of banter in that long room. I've never seen the long room like it, to be honest. All the guys in the egg and bacon ties giving you plenty of stick. It was absolutely incredible. I've never experienced anything like it. I've I've copped some some stuff before from people, but like proper grown men, mature people who are meant to be the quietest um, at the home of cricket. It was something to behold. I, I, I wish I had a microphone or something just to hear the so people can just get the sense of how loud it was in there. It's crazy. <laughs> and, I, and I'm sure they were just saying, well done, good wicket, as they do in that, that, that room. Yeah, can't repeat it on here. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant, Davey. David, thank you so much for, for coming on, especially just uh, with hours to go before a test. We really, really appreciate it. It's been great to chat. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks, gents. Anytime. One of the uh, Ashes series going on and unfortunately lost by England's women to the Australians, a three-run victory for the Australians in the second ODI. Uh, so that was enough for them to retain the urn. 
But three wins in a row for England uh, after going 6-0 down following the test and test defeat. They did really well to get back into it, didn't they, Mike? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it just in, in all sports, there's always a, just a, a momentum shift. And it was that, that last over from Lauren Bell that went for 26 that suddenly just transcended mm-hmm. Australia's score to 280-odd. England were asked to chase down their their highest ever total. They chased it the previous game in Bristol, uh, did brilliantly with the skipper, uh, getting them over the line. But Nat Siverbrunt is a player. What a player she is. She she is a wonderful batter. She she's magnificent to watch. And you know, England I I think are so close to this Australian side. I, I really do. I I go back to that test match at uh, Trent Bridge. I felt England could have won that game. You know, the tactics that had just been slightly different, it had used uh, Sophie Exton more in the second innings earlier, rather than allowing Australia to get to eighty odd for none before the number one spinner well, the number one bowler in the world getting the the ball in her hand. Um, I, I think it's been a great, great series. And I, I keep saying, I, I just love the, the women's ashes now to have a standalone summer. You know, I think it, it warrants... Yeah. Um, and it's been great this year because <clears throat> it's kind of been uh, around the men's ashes and it's been what everyone's talking about. But I'd have loved to have seen the women's ashes next summer in a quiet summer for the men. And it would have been the prominent cricket of the summer for everyone to watch. I think they've got to that stage. Now, you've seen the sellout crowds, you've seen great audiences. I'm sure the TV audiences and the radio audiences are, are fantastic as well. Um, you know, Australia are, you could argue, the best sporting team in the world, the women's uh, Australian side. They they don't lose. So for this England side to have beaten them three times already, got close in the test uh, match, got close in the last ODI, uh, they're not far away. And they've got quite a, a good set of young players coming through. Um, I reckon they can get them in the next series or two. You know, they keep going, keep improving, keep bringing them through young players. Um, you know, the Australians aren't getting any younger. You know, there's a few of those older Australian players that might be moved aside. I'm sure they'll have a next, the next uh, conveyor belt coming through. But um, England have done great. I think John Lewis deserves a lot of credit. He, he, he's brought a a great uh, amount of, of energy to this England side in the way that they're playing. They're playing quite expansively and they're a really good team to watch. So uh, I've loved it. I've loved the series. I think they've played some good cricket. Just those key moments at the, the key times, the best teams generally just win them. And Australia just managed to win those key moments that that little bit better than England. Heather Knight described it as the best series in the history of women's cricket. Hard to disagree. Yeah, I mean, England, uh, England have closed the gap with a great Australian team. And I thought that watching the, the end of the game and the sort of handshakes afterwards, that the Aussies are quite rattled, aren't they? They, they don't, they're not used to losing games. And uh, there definitely seemed to be uh, a look on their face, a shock, actually, that they've been pushed so hard by England. Um, and like, like Mike says, it, it credits to John Lewis for, 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 let, for giving the, the ability to play with a bit more, with a bit more freedom. Uh, they seem to be, England seemed to be at a stage where they'd lost that during that run chase. And it was only when Amy Jones came in and, and with, and batted with that silver brunt that they really took the attack back to Australia. And that was when you saw Australia back off again and you thought they could, they could, they could bring this home. So if they could channel that and keep going with that, then you sense that they could easily come back and win the next game as well. Um, which, but like I say, the best they've closed the gap with Australia, which wasn't expected. It's the same with the men's team. They may end up not beating Australia this year, but they've closed the gap from where they were when they last played. Right, that's all for today. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Nick. Massive thanks to David Warner for his time too. We wish him best of luck in the final few months of his career. 
except of course for the remainder of the Ashes series. If you're new to the podcast, Mike, Phil and I will be here every Wednesday, though sometimes Tuesday throughout the summer. Previous episodes from this season are all available online, featuring the likes of Justin Langer, Sir Jeffrey Boycott and Headingley hero Jack Leach. If you have any feedback, questions or comments, the address is cricketclub at telegraph.co.uk, so please do drop us a line. We'll be back with you next week to reflect on the crucial fourth test and the build-up to what is hopefully a deciding fifth test at the Oval. So until then, goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.